This is a clip from The Virtuoso Show, enriching entertainment through story and sound. In today's story segment, I'm talking about The Critique of Pure Reason by Immanuel Kant. Now, the way that I came across this book is actually interesting because it's not something that I would, you know, usually be attracted to. However, I googled what the most influential books of all time were glanced at the top 10, and I saw this. It just, you know, piqued my interest. And I'll be honest, this was a challenging one, probably the most challenging in the whole season. So, hey, we got to save the best for last, right? Tough one to wrap my head around what he's trying to say here, but I did my best to kind of summarize the clever concept and meaningful message and condense it in a way that you can understand it. So let's see how it goes. In short summary, The Critique of Pure Reason is a book by the 18th century German philosopher Immanuel Kant, where he makes his first critique of the faculty of reason. He goes on to later make more critiques. This is the first, and it is notoriously difficult to get through. I felt good about that. It made me feel like I wasn't necessarily so, you know, dumb. Because <laughs> it's challenging work. His goal with the book, which was renowned for being hard to read, and I can attest to that, was to see if metaphysics was possible. Metaphysics being one of the four main branches of philosophy primarily concerned with the nature of reality, including things like the mind, substance, and actuality. It actually comes from the Greek words that mean behind the natural. It seeks to answer profound questions such as what is there and what's that like? In order to do so, he builds upon the foundation of other prominent philosophers. Most philosophers during this time were trying to understand how humans acquire knowledge. So he looked at those who believe knowledge comes from the sensory experiences, such as seeing a giraffe and then knowing there's such thing as a giraffe. By observing rain falling and knowing it's raining, this is an example of empirical knowledge. On the other side of the coin, he also looks to the works of rationalist philosophers who believe that truth is in fact deduced from intellect rather than the senses. These thinkers believe the only thing you can truly feel confident about is the stuff that you can figure out, like 3 times 3 equals 9. So the meaningful message and clever concept here, Kant wonders for all of us, what would life be like without our rose-colored glasses? Of space, time, numbers, how do we know that these are actually part of the world? Or the idea that was brought up by the guys at the Philosophy Tube when they talk about what would the world of Pokemon be like if you never became a trainer? What if your starter kit didn't work and you just had to go out and walk into the world and experience it directly rather than trying to catch Pokemon and battle with them? What if you weren't interested in that? So to figure it out, he came up with this theory. Kant divided the world into two. 
one side with our experience of the world, and the other, the world as it is, independent of our observations. He argues the way that we experience requires things like space, time, and numbers to be understood. And therefore, concepts of space, time, and numbers come in our mind in the beginning. Also, he denies that we can cognize things as they may truly be. He says that truth is something that is universal and necessary, or, in other words, can't be false. It is true by definition, like, a desk is a desk. Or, 7 times 3 is 21. But knowledge gained through the senses, he argues, may possibly encounter errors of judgment. In other words, we see the world through rose-colored glasses, or in his own words, he says that we see things as mere representations and not as things are in themselves. So we see the world as we are. This is the African proverb. We see the world as we are, not as it is. Right? Through our rose-colored glasses, space, time, and numbers being the rosy tints. Throughout my journey, I diverted my thoughts to his theories on well-being. Because honestly, I found that these were just more interesting and applicable personally and uh, grabbed my attention. So I found that his thoughts say essentially that there is no connection outside of the unification given by a supreme God between virtue and happiness. I found that to be interesting. Kant may have believed that doing what is right is often the opposite of doing what would make you happy. And this ability to forego happiness, crave, and instead act righteously is what Kant deems virtue. He says that the human will is affected but not determined by our desires, and that happiness is a result of being virtuous. Kant says that if one can act in the right principles, which are the result of an education of moral law and reason, then this person will avoid the greatest of human punishment a low view of oneself. A virtuous person is one who adopts good principles freely and then acts. So Kant's work, although another sleeper hit like we described in the last episode, has endured in its impact on Western philosophy. Certain features of obtaining knowledge are built into you through your rosy glasses, and so obtain knowledge is as much as within you as it is the world around you. Thank you. Thanks for taking a moment to listen to this excerpt. If you like what you've heard here, maybe you'd enjoy the full show. I invite you to check it out wherever you get your podcasts. If you love what I'm doing and you want to support me, please go to treversthoughts.com and sign up for my email. Alternatively, you can shoot me a quick message at muse at treversthoughts.com. That's M-U-S-E, like the Greek muses. I'll send you an email back and we can begin our relationship from there. Till next time, aloha.